Well, I'm Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and we're in Holy Week. Ooh, am I going to get another one of those bad? Matt, you might have to replace it for me. Last week, Matt's fell over. But we are in Holy Week. It's kicked off by Palm Sunday. You just saw all our kids uh, crazily <laughs> dancing and running joyfully with their palms. But in this season of Lent, uh, we have been wrestling with what it means that Jesus is the Christ. We've been wrestling with what it means to actually be a disciple of Jesus. And we ask the question over and over again, what does it mean to live in a time like this and actually embody our faith? And to be challenged the way that Jesus um, challenged the disciples as well. We've been in this season looking at the last week of Jesus' life. And last week, Matt was on Wednesday, and he talked about the unnamed woman who came and anointed the feet of Jesus with this expensive perfume, much to the dismay of the disciples. But what Jesus said was, she did what she could do, and that was good. That was good. And what, in reality, what she was doing, she was preparing Jesus for a burial. But tonight, we are on Thursday. What a lot of us know is Monday, Thursday, or Holy Thursday. It is the beginning of the most solemn time in the most sacred week of our church story. And I'll tell you, Holy Thursday has a lot of drama to it. It's the final meal that Jesus shares with his followers. It's when Jesus goes out to the garden and he prays for deliverance from what he has to do. It's the night that Jesus is betrayed and, and he is denied He's abandoned by his followers. And in the night, Jesus is arrested, he's interrogated, and he is sentenced to death. And all this happens pre-dawn on Friday morning. The Last Supper is what we're going to be talking about tonight. And that's something that we remember here each and every week at the table. It's part of our rhythm as we take part together in communion. I'm going to give you a little backdrop to the Last Supper. Jesus sends two disciples out into the city to find a guy, to find a guy who has a jug of water and to ask this guy, tell him, hey, the teacher needs a room to prepare the Passover meal. And he tells them that, you know what, he'll point you to a large room up some stairs and that's where you will prepare the meal. I don't know what it reminds you guys of, but it reminds me of Palm Sunday when Jesus sends two disciples into the city to find a guy, but to find a guy with a donkey. But in that case, Jesus was preparing. He was preparing for a public demonstration, sort of an anti-imperial entrance. He was taking a non-violent stance over the violence-based triumphal entry of Pilate. But in this case, the pre-planning was different. It was about secrecy. Because prior to this in Mark, we know that Judas has already been out and about finding a way to betray Jesus. He's already talked to the authorities, and Jesus knows all this. Jesus is well aware of all the hostility surrounding him. He's well aware that the noose is tightening, that the cross is approaching. And guess what? This meal matters. This last meal these final words, this final message with his group of disciples, it matters and there's nothing that's going to get in the way of completion of this meal. So the evening comes and Jesus arrives with the 12 and he, predict, he predicts his betrayal. And here we are in Mark. 
And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The final meal, the context, the words spoken, the message given, it mattered. It all meant something. And it meant something that pointed back toward Jesus' public ministry. It meant something that pointed to the present moment they were in. It meant something that pointed forward to his death, to the resurrection, to what post Easter Christian life would look like. And undergirding all this is that it was a Passover meal. The most important story known to the Jewish people of Jesus' day was the Exodus story. A story of bondage, deliverance, of liberation. And Passover was and is the annual Jewish celebration of God's greatest act of deliverance. And that first Passover, many of us are familiar with that story. It occurred the night before the last plague. So all these plagues had hit Pharaoh and Egypt. All these plagues um, in order for the Hebrew slaves to be free. And the night before the 10th plague, that was the plague that was going to hit all the firstborn children in Egypt. That was going to take the lives of all those children. It was the plague that broke Pharaoh's will. It was the plague that set the Hebrew people free. And there were two meanings to this meal, this Passover lamb from that night before. And it was this, some of the blood from that lamb, some of the blood, they took it and they put it on all the doorposts of the Hebrew slaves. And the angel of death flew right over those homes. And here's the second piece. Each of those those Hebrew slaves, they were to eat that lamb buckle up their sandals and get ready to move because the, the Passover lamb was food for the journey. And importantly, this first Passover um, meal was also the last supper in Egypt, the land of bondage. And I think what's so important is that the purpose of this lamb, the purpose of it was both for protection against death and for food on the journey. And the Passover lamb, and was, it was in the broad sense of sacrifice, not the substitutionary sense of sacrifice. The story never mentions guilt or sin, substitution or atonement. And what's woven together in this last supper evening is Jesus' ministry and his message, his call to us as followers. And what you see woven in is in part, a continuation of the meal practices of Jesus. That was a, part, a big part of his ministry that we see throughout all the gospel story. And those shared meals, Jesus was highly criticized, right, by his critics, by the scribes, by the Pharisees. Because here's the thing. His table was inclusive. He sat with those on the margin. He sat with those on the fringe. He sat with the outcasts. And that was contrary to all these really sharp, strong social boundaries that had been set. And as Jesus ate with the marginalized and as he ate with the outcasts, the significance was religious as well as political. It was religious because it was of the kingdom of God 
and it was political because it had a whole new vision for society. But here's the other piece to this practice of meal that was brought into the Last Supper, is that it was about the food. Because for Jesus and his peasant audience, food mattered. It was one of the two central survival issues of the day, food and debt. And what the Last Supper affirms, and I love all these implicit messages in the book of Mark, the Last Supper affirms Jesus' emphasis on meals and food as part of God's justice. And here's the other thing, and maybe you guys knew this. Matt, you probably knew this. But I didn't realize how much the Last Supper points back to the feeding of the 5,000. So we know that story too, like Jesus is teaching to this huge crowd of people. And it gets late and the disciples are like, man, you got to send them out. they got to go get themselves some food and uh, get it for themselves. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you feed them. And as Mark narrates the story of Jesus during the Last Supper, he uses four verbs. And those verbs are took, blessed, broke, and gave. And those are the same words used in the feeding of the 5,000 that Mark used just prior to this. In Mark 6, he says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he, he divided the two fish among them all. He took them. He blessed he broke and he gave. And the beauty of this story, which is part of the message, this implicit message that Jesus has for the disciples at that last supper and has for us today, is that this isn't a story about multiplication. It's a story about distribution. Jesus takes what's already there. And when it passes through his hands, there's plenty. There's plenty for everyone. It's called just distribution. What I love about this story is that Jesus actually has them participate in the process. They had to go find what food was available. They had all the people sit down in different groups. They had to distribute the food, and then they had to pick up what was, ever, what was left over. And these disciples who didn't see it as their responsibility to make sure people were fed were forced to accept it by Jesus. I love that idea. I love that message that there is enough, everybody. It's about just distribution. So Mark's his emphasis on the loaf of bread and the cup of wine that are shared amongst all sitting at that table at the Last Supper, it points back to just distribution. It points back to what doesn't belong to us, belongs to everybody. Jesus distributes the food at that table sitting with his disciples, everyone present to all that were there. And this shared meal, what it becomes is both this sacramental, a beautiful sacramental symbol, and it also reminds us of the primary practice of the kingdom of God. So while Mark's story of the Last Supper has all these really beautiful, big, deep, rich, implicit connections, it has reminders of the nature of God and who God is and how God operates and how we're called to live. It also has a very explicit message about the death of Jesus. And I was doing some thinking about that. 
about the Last Supper, about his last words to his group of friends, about those last moments. And it made me think about what would that be like in my life? Like, who would I want surrounding me? What might my last words be to the people that I love the most? What's my legacy going to be as someone who's broken, who's a failed disciple, as Mark points out over and over again, the failure of the disciples, but someone that does love Jesus and aspires to practice his ways? What is that legacy going to look like? And then it got me thinking about my sister, who many of you know this story. Six years ago this summer, she died after a long battle of cancer. She lives in Boulder, Colorado. But one of the amazing things was every year for two decades, she, her husband, her child, they would come to Minnesota to be with us and our family at Christmas and 4th of July. And the 4th of July, which we all knew would be her last, she got herself to Minnesota with her husband and her son. And everyone who was important to her was there. My parents flew in. My brother and his wife flew in. Some special friends came in. We knew it would be her last 4th of July. We didn't know she was going to die two days after the 4th of July. We didn't know she was going to die in my home. But that's how it happened. And in this beautiful moment that we look back on and realize she had the will to get herself there, to get her to the right spot at the right moment as she passed from here to heaven. But one of the holiest moments, and this is a picture, is her last words. Those are her last words to her 12-year-old son. I have no idea what those words were. But I'm pretty certain that those were words of love, that they were assurance of you are loved, that she told him, I did everything I could to get you to this moment. I surrounded you with all the people who love you the most. You are surrounded by friends and family and the community of God. And I'm going to entrust you there. And I'm also going to call you to live out that love that has been poured on you over these years. Her last words, her legacy to that little boy, to the rest of us in our family, was someone who lived with a deep and abiding faith, someone who wasn't afraid, afraid of dying, but knew ultimately that was, that's where she was going. Last words, last moments, last supper, they matter. They matter in everything that moves us up to that moment. They matter. And Jesus' last words, last moments were packed with a message, not only of love, but of living a life for one another, of living for justice, for just distribution, for inclusion, for community, for shared meals, that this is the life we're called for, or called to. And this sacrificial love that we know best through Jesus we also know best in what we call the words of institution. Take. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. You know, it's interesting because Matthew, Luke, I got to get this right, Matthew, Luke, and Paul, they, the words they use are just a little bit different than what we have in Mark. John doesn't say anything about these words of institution. But Matthew talks about forgiveness. Mark does not. Um, 
Luke and Paul add in the whole idea of remembrance. But what they all share in common is this emphasis on body and blood, bread and wine. And those words point to a blood sacrifice. Jesus is the new Passover lamb. And I think what's important, and Julie, I am thinking about you on that airplane, asking me to talk to you about atonement and the substitution theory. But the ancient and modern understanding of sacrifice in that the point isn't suffering, the point isn't substitution, but it's participation with God. Remember Jesus when he said, if you want to become my followers, like deny yourself, pick up your cross, come along with me. It's about participation with Jesus and in Jesus. And that's what, the minute, what Jesus' message is about. That's how as followers we die to self. We're born to new life again. The other piece that I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't just speak of bread and wine as symbols of his body and blood. He has all 12 disciples, including Judas, partake in it. A final attempt to bring everyone along with him through death to new life. Matt and I, most of the sermon series has been out of this book by uh, authors Marcus Borg and John Dominic. Cross in, and the book is called The Last Week. And this is what they had to say about the Last Supper. The Last Supper is about bread for the world, God's justice against human injustice, a new Passover from bondage to liberation, and participation in the path that leads through death to new life. Participation. The path is hard. The path is often uncertain. But when things pass through Jesus' hands, when we remember that it's Jesus that is food for the journey, it's through Jesus that we experience new life in a new way, and I think we experience it over and over and over again. That's what we celebrate. When we, every, each and every week, when we share in this cup and we take this bread together, we celebrate that Jesus is the way and the life and the truth. On the night before Jesus died, on the night that he was arrested, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was denied, he sat in a room with his followers they were reclining, sharing a meal. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. The covenant for many. And so when we come together on Sunday nights, we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we remember we remember this Jesus that showed us what it's like to live and to love and to stand for justice, to be about 
equity and for those on the fringe and the marginalized and the outcasts. We invite you during the music to come up. There'll be someone standing here and here. You can take the bread and dip it into the cup. And be reminded you're loved. Be reminded that last moments and last words, last suppers, that they matter. They matter in a big way. Would you all stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, glory forever. Amen. We're so glad that you guys were here tonight with us on this Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week. We'd love it if you join us on Good Friday. I think it's going to be a really beautiful service. Um, like Maggie said, it's, we've shifted a little bit on what we do, so um, it's going to be really meaningful and holy and sacred. And I think we said this a few weeks ago, probably one of our favorite nights of the church year. So join us, 9 p.m. here. And of course, we'd love to have you on Easter Sunday at 5 o'clock. It's truly just a joyous celebration of music and message and, and sharing a meal. So with that... Um, if you could put your hands out for the benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter where you've been or the places that you've stayed, you always have a place at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Thanks, everyone. Go in peace and have a great week.